So, uh, let me make sure that's still recording. It is. Had a minor complication a couple weeks ago. We're going to be missing an episode on the podcast, which of course is a big deal. As I've mentioned before, we're on Spotify. Mike's heard it. He was telling me the other day he listened to the intro. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. You want to, do you want to tell us about it? No, no, don't worry about it. Do it later. Okay. Um, all right. So Exodus 20:15. you shall not steal. That's the eighth commandment. I can read the whole thing again. You shall not steal. It's pretty short. It seems pretty simple. Uh, but I also want to read something to us from the book of Luke tonight. Uh, in the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, we see the story of Zacchaeus. Now, you may remember Zacchaeus from Sunday school, if you grew up in the church, and how he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. That's, the, that's what we're doing here. Um, but this passage is not so much about, uh, Zacchaeus being a wee little man, actually, as it is about true faith and repentance and gives us a pretty good example of how we relate to riches in this world and a pretty good example of how we keep the eighth commandment, interestingly enough. So in Luke 19, uh, God's word says this, he entered Jericho and was passing through, talking about Jesus. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's word. Um, so maybe you're wondering what this has to do with the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Uh, maybe you see some connection here between Zacchaeus being pretty charitable after he meets Jesus. Uh, and you know something about tax collectors. And that's right, that is the connection here. Uh, for one thing, Zacchaeus likely was a thief uh, in some regard, even if he was doing it differently than we may often think about it. He probably wasn't sneaking into people's houses or uh, swiping things from Dora the Explorer, right? He's uh, actually using his job and his government authority to uh, what seems likely what was often enough the case with tax collectors in Israel at this time to extort people. Uh, to use his authority or the uh, authority of soldiers or some other means to get more money than he was authorized to do. Um, so, of course, we see not only that, but we see how Zacchaeus uh, responded to Jesus coming into his house and he, how he responds to Jesus meeting with him and, and talking with him. And what he does actually here uh, that we often 
maybe overlook is he imposes on himself in an act of repentance the strongest and strictest rule of Moses from the Old Testament in regard to thievery. All he has to do is make restitution, return what was stolen, and maybe add a fifth to it. In some cases, I think it's double, but here he says he's going to quadruple or, or restore fourfold what he had taken. So we see here um, what happened with Zacchaeus. He, he was this tax collector. He was despised by a lot of his countrymen and countrywomen. Uh, tax collectors weren't well thought of at this time. Often what they were, were they were uh, people from the district that had been taken over by Rome who were then uh, hired or forced or something into collecting taxes for the empire which had conquered whatever the local state, whatever the local government was. So as you can imagine, that's, that's not very popular um, with, with his people. That'd be like, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say countries because I'm not trying to make anybody sound bad. Just we'll pretend it's like, you know, South Africa invading America and winning a war. And then uh, the, your local mayor, right, and whatever your hometown is, he then is the guy who's in charge of collecting taxes from you for South Africa. Um, so he's probably not going to be a popular guy. He's going to be seen as a traitor, someone who's turned on his people and is actually aiding the enemy. So Zacchaeus, again, is not well thought of, and it seems likely enough uh, he's, he's called a sinner that usually went with uh, not just tax collecting, uh, but with a, um, uh, a lewd or immoral sort of lifestyle. And so, in any regard, he's a thief. But one of the really interesting things to see one of the things that points out to us what this law is really about, what this commandment really is about, is the way that Zacchaeus repents. Um, and this, this, by the way, tonight's uh, outline is, is more or less just law and, and gospel, Right? We're going to talk about what this law means, and then we're going to talk about how Jesus keeps it for us and how he plays into this, how he factors in to keeping this law. And so this is the law that Zacchaeus meets Jesus, and he actually imposes a strict law from the Bible on himself for stealing. He goes to the the most severe uh, law of restoration that he can find. But then also, not only does he restore fourfold what he had taken, he says also to Jesus that he would give away half of his possessions to the poor. What has actually happened here? If we were to think about um, Jesus and in, you know, we, we've continued to say throughout the semester, the law is not the gospel. And if we were to just break it down very simply like that, maybe we would be expecting that Jesus is simply uh, the gospel 
that he, he's just he's given some good news to Zacchaeus and it's made Zacchaeus feel better or something like that. Something we can uh, overlook at times, though, is what the Bible reveals to us about Jesus, is that he kept God's law perfectly. Right, at the beginning of the semester, we, we read something from Matthew 5 in which Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. These Ten Commandments as a revelation of God's character, of his love for himself and for his people, they reveal to us who he is. So when we look deeply at what's happening in this passage, I think what we see is that Zacchaeus, this lawbreaker, this thief, he's actually coming face to face with the law. I mean that like in a very human way. He's, he's looking at Jesus. He's looking at the embodiment of the law. And if you're saying, whoa, I thought Jesus is love. Yes. <laughs> uh, and while the law is not gospel, it is about love. If you will recall, we've, we've talked about that in this semester uh, as well, that that the law is actually something that teaches us how to love God and how to love other people. Not just in our affections, how to feel things, but how to act toward others. And so Zacchaeus has actually come face to face with the law. He has seen the one who, uh, at his time, is still currently keeping the law perfectly. The one who gave the law He's interacting with the one uh, who, who put these commandments down on stone to teach his people how to live with each other. And Zacchaeus' response is amazing, isn't it? Uh, that he would then repent in this very um, law-centered way, right? That he actually goes back to the Old Testament to look for what, what his next steps should be. He recognizes something special in Christ. Doubtless he believes the gospel and he responds to it. Now we'll get to what the gospel is later, right? In uh, Jesus is, is both the embodiment of love in the gospel and in the law. Um, but right now we're, we're simply focusing on the law. So Zacchaeus has come face to face with the law and he recognizes the wrong that he's done and he repents. Uh, he does that with the particular motivation of understanding the love of Christ and the person of Christ. But nonetheless, he, he comes to this and he acts through the law after recognition of his breaking the law. I want to point out here, too, uh, one of the reasons we've been doing the Ten Commandments this semester is because it's easy for Christians to begin to think that uh, living the Christian life is simply about a way that I feel. Uh, it's intuitive. It's about affections. It's about a list of things that Christians do over here, but it's Probably not about how I just act in society and, and with individuals and in relationships. 
right? Like if you were to say, what do Christians do? You'd probably say like, read the morning devotions, pray, go to church. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can throw a couple other things in there. Uh, they're charitable givers or something, right? Um, which, funny enough, does connect to this. Um, but one of the things I want us to see in these Ten Commandments as well is that what God wants from us is, is action. The commandments speak to our heart. Uh, when Jesus spiritualizes the law, or Paul calls it uh, spiritual. He says the law is spiritual in Romans. That doesn't mean that it's just like more ambiguous now and it's about how we feel. What he means is that these commands that talk about our actions reach down beyond our actions, but still include them. And they reach into our hearts and get at our motivations as well. But, but sometimes we've got to remember to come back out and see that we actually do have to act. We actually do have to act in love, just like we talked about with the commandment not to murder. That has to do with our bodies. And the commandment not to commit adultery, that deals with our bodies. And so here we are dealing with our own possessions and our neighbor's possessions. The law essentially is outward looking. It deals with how we look to God and how we look to other people, how we love God and how we love other people. And it really needs to define love for us. Love is not a feeling that I hope is part of the complex set of, of what love is for you, but it is also acting for the good of other people. And so here Zacchaeus sees that. And when he repents, he doesn't just say, I'm really sorry, Lord. I shouldn't have done all those things. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the times I extorted people. He doesn't just confess. He actually says, I'm going to go give back. I'm going to restore and more. And I'm going to change my life. I'm going to start giving away my possessions to the poor. So if you recall, um, as we've mentioned, that with the Ten Commandments, uh, while especially in the second table of the law, this, this second six, second group of commandments, all the way from honor your parents to you shall not covet, uh, sorry, not you honor your parents, but you shall not murder all the way to you shall not covet. They're phrased negatively, but implied in each of them, as we see in the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, expounded upon and exposited for us, there is also a positive implication for them. And so what is the positive implication of this commandment? You shall not steal. It's that you should provide. Sorry, Jimmy. Um, it's that you should provide. It's actually that we make space for other people's good. Not only that we don't take for them from them, but that we do good for them with our worldly possessions, with our money, with our time, right? What, whatever it is. So Zacchaeus sees that and he decides to, to do something about it. He actually gives away physical things for the physical good of other people. His heart has changed and he sees the law and he acts on it. Um, so Zacchaeus, he, he did this with money. 
Uh, Zacchaeus uh, has been stealing money from people, and he decides to restore the money that he has taken. But uh, like we said, there's more, there's more to it, right? We, we are to provide for other people, and sometimes that's not always just with money, which means that we don't always just steal money. There are broader implications for this commandment than just providing money or just not stealing money. Uh, if, we, if we look at the rest of the Old Testament, there are lots of provisions made for the poor in places like Exodus uh, 22 and 23 in the book of Leviticus. There are these different places that talk about how in Israel uh, and, and in Deuteronomy, where the Lord says, there will be no more, no poor among you if you are diligent to follow my commands. In places like Exodus, the Lord tells the people of Israel, you know, don't harvest your fields right up to the edges. Leave some for the poor. Let them harvest your grapes. Let them harvest your wheat. He's leaving room to provide for other people. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8, we read this, Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. Here we see that one thing that God is condemning is actually buying up land and pushing out the poor, essentially. Monopolizing. In our free market, sometimes we have uh, discussions about whether or not we should allow companies to join together. And sometimes maybe we think that's a really silly argument, like, yeah, it's just, it's free market, they can do whatever they want. And yet in a just society, I don't think we should scoff at the idea of opposing that. I'm not saying they can't. I, I'm not an economist and I haven't thought all those things through. But I think as we consider the Bible and the fact that it actually has implications for physical life and our society, we need to be thinking things through. It is stealing to monopolize resources and hold them back from those who need them. It is a breach of this commandment not to provide for those in need. So Zacchaeus, recognizing that, not only says sorry, but then repents with real actions. Um, as we continue to look at this passage, right? Jesus, the Son of God, the law himself, he steps into Zacchaeus' life. He goes to eat with a sinner and stay with him. Maybe we don't expect that either. Maybe we think uh, Jesus, who has never stolen and who stands completely against stealing in every form, would never go eat with somebody like this. He would never associate with somebody like this. And we see the Pharisees say as much, right? He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They're all grumbling among themselves. Ah, if he were a good person, he would know. He would know. And maybe even far more for Christians, we, we think, well, Jesus wasn't just a good person, he's God. He is the embodiment of the law in some sense. He's perfect. 
what is he doing eating with this guy, being a guest in this man's house? But Zacchaeus meets Jesus and everything changes for him. We see why Jesus, who is the law, but in being so is love, goes to be with a man who is a sinner. And it's this, so that he would be saved. It says in verse 10, uh, well, in verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus isn't, uh, he's not around. He's, he's not who he is just to hang out with people who are like him. He didn't come here to save people who kept his law because nobody has. He wasn't concerned about the criticisms of the Pharisees saying, if you're perfect, why are you hanging out with this sinner? He came for Zacchaeus. He came to save Zacchaeus and everybody like him. He came to seek and to save the lost. In 2 Corinthians 2, 8 and 9, Paul tells us that Jesus became poor so that we could become rich. Not rich in money and possessions, but Jesus laid down all the treasures of heaven, denied himself, took on the wrath of God, when he very much could have continued to live in eternal pleasure with the Father and Holy Spirit. He laid all that aside so that we could be with him. He became poor so that we might become rich. Even the rich can be saved. See, one of the intents of this passage here in Luke um, is to contrast, I think, what's happening in chapter 18, where Zacchaeus, uh, sorry, where Jesus is met by the rich young ruler. He comes to him and he asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments, keep those. And then he says, well, I've done all those. And then he says, oh, well, one thing is left then for you. Sell all your possessions and, and give them away to the poor. And the rich young man, he walked away sad because he just couldn't do it. And then his disciples ask him, well, wait a minute. We thought it was the rich who are blessed. If the rich can't enter the kingdom of God, because you just said that uh, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to, wait, it's harder for the rich to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. They say, who can be saved then? And he says, with God, anything is possible. And then in the next chapter, we see Zacchaeus, this rich man, rich on stealing, rich on other people's possessions. Salvation comes to him because Jesus has come to him. He has met the law. He has met the embodiment of love. And he has believed in him. And it has changed everything for him. 
See, we, we cannot keep the law. We cannot be saved through keeping the law. We cannot be saved by not murdering people or not committing adultery or doing the positive implications of those commandments like we've talked about. We can't be saved by providing enough for people. We can only be saved. Salvation can only come to our house if we trust in Jesus to fulfill the law for us. So Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, regardless of who we are or what we've done in our lives. Jesus has come to save us, if only we would believe in him. And the good news is that even Zacchaeus, even that young rich man, had he turned and believed in Jesus, this would have been a promise to him also. Okay, so um, Jesus then, he enters Zacchaeus' life and he changes everything for him. And then Zacchaeus, as we said before, begins to see the full intent of the law. He, he not only says, sorry, he restores fourfold what he has taken away and he gives away half of his possessions. So the full intent of the law then, as we see, as we see through the love of Christ, as we see through the change that has taken place in this man, this, this full intent, which can only be motivated through the free grace of Jesus, is this, that we would provide for others, right? We've already said that. But we have some examples of that, um, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. In Ephesians 4.28, Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The intent is that we are to love our neighbors and provide for them and protect their property. Um, as we consider this question, not only in our own individual lives and how it relates to um, our love of money and salvation, we also, I, I think we should importantly continue to look at how this impacts our society. Uh, this, this law sometimes in its narrowest interpretation is interpreted to defend capitalism and I'm scared that oftentimes what we mean by that is this law tells other people not to steal my stuff. See, capitalism is okay because, I don't, I don't know, there's some sort of relation there. Um, and, and the question is often, um, you know, how much money can I make without it being wrong? What are the legal means for me to keep making money? The question is often uh, out of place, I think. As we look at the full intent of this law, as Zacchaeus began to see it, the questions that we should begin to ask are, how can I take care of other people? How can I use what is mine to provide for others? How can I follow the example of Zacchaeus and the commands of the Old Testament for Israel? How can I begin to apply those in my life to care for others? Um, one, of the, one of the greatest examples 
of stealing within recent history, and by recent, I mean the last several hundred years, uh, has actually been slavery in America. We don't often think of it as being related to this uh, commandment. We probably would relate it more to something like the Sixth Commandment. Um, but one of the greatest examples of, the, of, of this commandment is, is slavery. I say this because in the last uh, several decades, there have been some odd arguments to come up almost, not almost, in defense of slavery. Things that have said, well, it's, it's, it's not as bad as it sounds. It, it wasn't that bad. There were actually a lot of good slaveholders. They were really kind to people and all this. And the fact of the matter is that this commandment stands strictly against man-stealing, as the Old Testament would call it. In that greater exposition of the Ten Commandments that follows in the Old Testament, we see that clearly. And for some reason, our ancestors in this country often tried to find their way around that. Even people who held very tightly to documents that said man-stealing, <laughs> uh, kidnapping is wrong. They, they still somehow found a way around that. And the intent of the law as it's been colored in our society, or, or at least maybe as it has some application in our society, it's been affected by our history. Of course, we know that that's wrong. Uh, and of course, slavery has been uh, largely done away with in our society. Have we begun, though, within ourselves, within our churches, and within our larger society, really to begin to apply what it means to provide for others. To make space for others to provide for themselves. If capitalism is the economic answer, what does that mean to us? That it's simply my right to my own things? Or that it's a way for society to restore to other people a right to their their uh, God-given gifts and possessions. Do we like things like capitalism? Do we like the systems that we live in simply because they enable us to have the life and lifestyle that we want? Or do we like them because we actually believe that they set up a place in which other people can benefit and profit and live fruitful lives? Of course, it's uncomfortable to talk about how the commandments apply to society, and we have to apply this to our own hearts. But we have some hard thinking to do as individuals and as uh, churches as we continue to move forward. So I hope that we can continue to do that with this motivation, knowing that it is Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that that is our motivation, not that we can, again, save ourselves, that we have been saved by somebody else giving up his rights, giving up his goods for us. How will that play out in our lives uh, and in the lives of those around us? Uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we will have some questions and sing our final song. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would use it in our hearts uh, to change our lives to make us more like your son, Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen.